The Playful Psychologist podcast is hosted by me, Emily Hanlon, a clinical psychologist who primarily works with children and adolescents. This podcast has been designed to offer support to new psychologists who may feel as though they are drowning in uncertainty. It has also been designed to inform and educate parents and teachers on all things child development. Along with some special guests, I explore different aspects of child development, including developmental disorders and emotional regulation, while also advocating for those who may be falling through the cracks in our current system. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of the Playful Psychologist podcast. Today, we're going to be chatting a little bit about toys. So this is something that I think we can all work on as parents. But if you are a clinician working with a family who's struggling with like independent play or saying I'm bored a lot at home, helping them rejig their toy space or their, you know, toy stations at home can work wonders. So we're going to be talking about toys in two different ways today. We're going to be talking about toy rotation as well as different types of toys. So think open-ended versus closed-ended. Now, if you don't know what those terms mean, don't worry, we're going to talk all about it today. But before we get into those different types of toys, let's just quickly touch on toy rotations. We're going to go toy rotation, talking about different types of toys, coming back to toy rotation. bit all over the place, but bear with me. So toy rotation is a really simple solution to a very common problem. And that problem sounds something like this. We have so many toys, but my child just doesn't play with any of them. Or my children can never play independently. They always need me there. Or we have so many options, but my child always tells me they're bored. It is so frustrating. Those sorts of things sound familiar. You're not alone. I know you might be thinking that the more toys a child has, the more they're going to play or the more choice they have, the more they will play and the happier they will be. But the research has convinced us that the opposite is actually true. And it actually shows that there is a significant increase in the quantity and the quality of a child's play once there are less options. So too many toys can actually lead to boredom and increase dysregulated behavior or can lead to anxiety about choice and therefore lead to dysregulated behavior. Now, This actually kind of makes sense once we remember that play is the work of the child. Play is meaningful. It's a way children learn. If you imagine all the jobs that you have to do on a day-to-day basis, let's take cooking for example. How often have you had decision fatigue and had absolutely no idea what to cook or what to order from Uber Eats? Or, um, you know, if you go to a restaurant and it's one of those restaurants that have like 3000 things on the menu, if you had a couple of choices or minimal ingredients, it'd be a lot easier for you to make a decision as to what to eat or what to order. And the same goes with kids when it comes to play. In toy rotation, instead of having a play room or a play area full of toys and options, you divide them into smaller, more manageable groups and switch them out on a regular basis. So this can help reduce obviously clutter and mess, but also aids concentration so that kids can engage in independent play for longer periods of time. So this is something that you know, as a clinician, if you're listening to this, you can really help families with this. And it's really something simple that, you know, can start them off on the right foot. And if you're a parent listening to this, it's also something you are really able to do. And I'll give a quick example. 
So let's say you've got like your kid is really into like animals and that sort of thing. And you have like 300 animal figurines instead of going, okay, today I'm going to get the animals out for the kids or having the animals readily available, break them into categories and chuck them in Ziploc bags. Maybe you have African animals, maybe you have sea animals, zoo animals, um, farm animals, that sort of thing. And once a week you swap them out. So maybe one week you bring out the farm animals and, and a couple of like other options to let them play, um, you know, create a scene out of farm stuff. I don't know. Maybe it's an egg carton. Let be creative. Give them anything. And then the following week you pop away the farm animals and maybe you get out the safari animals or the dinosaurs or something else, the sea creatures and that sort of thing. So there's just a really quick example of how you would rotate a category of toys. And I think one of the trickiest things is, and I'm definitely a victim of this um, being a parent myself, but so often we get sucked in as parents and think we need all the latest toys, all the new toys and everything in between to keep our kids entertained. But what ends up happening? The more toys they get, the more overwhelmed they get, the less time they spend engaged in quality play. And the more we end up hearing, I'm bored, what should I play with, come with me, uh, all the whinging, which in turn makes us think we need to get new toys and therefore kind of creates a never ending cycle and clutters up our home with unnecessary items, but doesn't necessarily improve the independent play that your child is engaging in. Now, there is a lot of research on open-ended versus closed-ended toys. So open-ended toys are toys that can be played within multiple ways. So for example, five children could be given the exact same toy and all five of them would find different ways to play with it, um, you know, on different occasions based on their interests and their own individual cognitive development and where they're at. Open-ended toys don't have an end goal. So here with open-ended, I want you to think of things like Lego or blocks or toy cars or small world figurines or animals, even really random items that you might find around the home or in the backyard, like rocks, flowers, leaves, you know, sticks, etc. On the flip side, a closed-ended toy has a beginning and an end. So they do help kids learn to pay attention and work towards a goal. There's nothing wrong with, well, in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with closed-ended toys. We have a lot of them in our home. Um, but they have a specific goal and you really can't use them in too many different ways. So examples of these toys are puzzles, books, a board game that you might have. Other examples may be toys with buttons or batteries where you press a button and it makes a noise, sings a song, drives a car around a track automatically, those sorts of things. Now, a lot of people say, oh, you should only, only have open-ended toys. And are they, you know, better quality toys? In some ways, yes, because the longevity of the way the kids can use them kind of grows as they develop through different stages, whereas a closed-ended toy is typically used for X amount of time before a child outgrows it. But that's not to say that you have to go in right now and throw out every single closed-ended toy that you have. That's not what I'm saying. Basically, the biggest difference between these toys is that closed-ended toys have a definitive end, whereas open-ended toys do not. So again, if you're struggling to remember, a closed-ended toy eventually stops or closes, an open-ended toy remains open with the you know, creativity that can happen. Closed-ended toys 
do have some benefits though. If we're talking about, um, you know, working towards a goal, such as doing a puzzle, reading a book or, you know, pressing buttons to get to colors that, you know, they do have their place and open-ended toys can be played in different ways with no definitive end, such as, you know, pretend play. You can really work on language development, um, mirrors and dolls and that sort of thing would also count towards open-ended toys. So in my opinion, it is really important for children to experience both toy types and to have plenty of opportunities to play with them. That may differ from a lot of stuff that you've heard. A lot of people go, no, we throw out all the battery toys, throw out all the plastic toys. Cool. If you want to do that, great, but you don't have to. And it's not going to hinder your child's development if you have plastic battery operated toys at home. What is going to hinder their development if that's is if that's all you have, they have access to and the play has always has a beginning and an end Um, because I think where we get stuck in, you know, where we get stuck as parents is we spend more money on clothes and toys that can be only be used in a certain way. And we have too many options um, in the home. So children then don't know where to start. And again, think of it like when you go to a restaurant and there are too many options on the menu, you get overwhelmed and all of a sudden you don't know what you feel like. You don't know what you want to order. You get stressed about making the wrong choice. That's exactly what it's like for kids. So mix it up. Have some games and puzzles and battery-operated toys available, but also have figurines, blocks, magnetiles, random objects from the backyard and so on. Keep it super interesting. And you don't have to go out and buy new things. Here's an example of how I use pre-existing toys at home in a variety of different ways. So my little one, Luca, my oldest, I should say, is really, really into Play-Doh. So each week I just get a different color of Play-Doh out. We have like four options. And then I have this little wooden tray and I go in the backyard and I pop rocks or leaves or flowers and that's it. That's all I do. It doesn't cost me any money to rotate through that process. And I haven't had to go out and buy anything new. So yeah, that's that's just an example. One of the biggest things I do advocate for when it comes to successful play at home is toy rotation. So we've already touched on it a little bit. And this is something that Sarah from Secure Foundations and I touch on in our play ebook, which I'll link in the session notes. And I think if you are struggling with play and toy overwhelm and all of that as a parent, it's a great resource to grab and it's very affordable. So it's a great toy rotation is such a great strategy because it doesn't not only does it decrease boredom, it stops the need to be constantly buying new toys. So like I said, you can use the same toy in a variety of different ways. We use the same material play though in a different way every week at no extra cost to myself. So that obviously is reducing clutter and choice for the child. It reduces overwhelm for me as well as a parent. And it also helps my son focus on one toy or one material for an extended period of time, giving him an opportunity to be creative with the same item in a different way. So again, I know I sound like I'm repeating myself, but just like grown-ups, children find mess very dysregulating, overwhelming and unsettling, and they have a lot of trouble focusing on their play in a really hectic environment. So the more I'm sure next time you're unsure whether that relates to your child, observe them in a messy play area. And when there's too many choices, they seem to kind of bounce around from one thing to another, completely bamboozled by the choice and really unable to stay with one activity or toy for too long in a way that's meaningful. They don't get to practice doing an activity for any length of time because their attention is diverted to whatever has just caught their eye. And even with the best storage for toys at home, 
Getting children to tidy up at the end of the day becomes a mammoth task and they don't want any part of it because there's too many things. You'll also notice that they don't know how to get started with something. So they may just dump the whole box of Duplo out or they may throw out the whole box of animals and then it's all over the floor. They get overwhelmed and then they go, oh, I want to go ride my bike. And you're like, oh my God, but you've just tipped out all this stuff. Why are you like this? And they are like that because they are dysregulated. So by rotating those smaller, more thoughtfully edited selection of toys, like I said before, if you've got an animal category and you break it down, children get the chance to focus and play on a much deeper, more meaningful level. And that's when the learning through play truly takes place. Other benefits of toy rotation can also include a developed sense of patience and perseverance, really curious play, heightened creativity because they learn to repurpose those toys in different ways, or even an enthusiasm for tidying up. Um, so for us, if Luca wants to get another toy out, I go, yeah, that's totally fine, but something has to go away. And he's learned that he has to put something away before he gets something out. So he's really eager to clean up and see what else he can choose. It's really a win-win situation in that regard. Um, so yeah, I think that's really good. And another really happy side effect of rotating toys is that you're usually able to declutter your play space because you'll edit and categorize a bit more purposefully and you'll realize what you have, what your child's playing with. We have a, um, like every time we go through toys before birthdays or Christmas or whatnot, when we know we're going to see an influx of things, we things that I'm not sure whether Lucas still plays with I put in a box high up in our bedroom and if he doesn't ask for that toy for three months it gets donated other things I'll donate straight away or throw away because they're broken or whatnot but that's just a really good example of if you're not sure it doesn't have to stay in the playroom taking up prime real estate you can you know experiment and see what happens if it's out now, when it comes to storing toys and stuff, I'm, I've shared it on my Instagram before, um, but the IKEA Trofar storage solutions is, are really, really awesome. They're quite handy because you get these boxes with lids so you can stack them really nicely um, out of sight in the cupboard, or you can just keep them in the kind of drawer pulley system that comes with it. Um, so yeah, it's a really good solution um if you are short on space because a lot of the boxes fit under beds on top of wardrobes or yeah so on so yeah that's something to consider not something you need but if you are considering something you should definitely check that out but again all of this is laid out in our ebook um along with a lot more information about play and the neuroscience around play so if you um want to check that out it's linked in the show notes and yeah i strongly recommend you have a read I hope that was useful. If you have any questions, please send me a DM at The Playful Psychologist or send me an email. My email address is thepleyfulpsychologist at gmail.com. See you later.